I mean, you know, there are a lot of knowledgeable teachers, but they don't know how to put the subject over. So how do you put it over? How do you share your enthusiasm with the students and get them enthusiastic about it? You're listening to Classical Etc., a show from the Memoria Press Podcast Network, where we offer an in-depth look at the philosophy, culture, and heart of the Memoria Press family. Now, here's your host, Shane Saxon. Hello and welcome to Classical Etc. I'm Shane Saxon. Today I got a chance to sit down with Mr. Ken Dennis. He's a former teacher at Highlands Latin School and a legendary storyteller. He comes by every year still and he comes into the classrooms and he tells amazing stories about American history, about the history of Louisville and Kentucky, and he inspires the students to love history. We talked about his love for history, We talked about what makes the love of history important for us as humans and also about the love of our place. I think you'll really enjoy hearing this conversation. So now here it is. Mr. Dennis, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a long time, um, basically because my wife has come home from different classes where you have come and lectured and she's told me about you teaching the students about scalping and amputations and other interesting things like that. But before we get to those topics, I did want to ask you, what got you into the study of history um, and led you to being a history teacher? All right. Well, I grew up on a small farm between uh, what was Zachary Taylor's, President Zachary Taylor's boyhood home, and Locust Grove, which was Revolutionary War General George Rogers Clark's final home. Okay. I come from a family of teachers. So they uh, very quickly told me, you know, now you live on some interesting property here. Sure. And in those days where we lived, it's all subdivision now. Yeah. Except for Locust Grove, they thankfully do have some space there. And that's right here in Kentucky? Yes, right right in Louisville. But, um, you know, everybody knew everybody. The address was Rural Route 1. <laughs> so I could go on to Springfield, which was the Zachary Taylor property. We knew who lived there. I could go to Locust Grove. We knew who lived there. I could roam around all these places. Still mm-hmm. had the original out, outbuildings and everything. Wow. And it was just like stepping back in time, see. And, you know, I could take my twenty-two single-shot rifle and even a trap or two. And put, it was all fields and woods. Yeah. And so I, then I wanted to know more, well, who was Zachary Taylor? Mm-hmm. And who was George Rogers Clark? And then every summer, we would take uh, an automobile trip to a different area of the country. And my mother, who had been a teacher, uh, got the AAA tour book. And we stopped at every historic site along the way. And it was, uh, you know, it always fascinated me. I wanted to know as much about these men and women as I could find out. Yeah. So that led you to study social studies or history in college? or When I was, oh, say, 11 or 12 years old, uh, they put out, somebody published, an excellent series of hardback American biographies, famous American 
men and women or ones who at least had contributed to the history of the nation. Sure. Written at, say, the sixth grade level or okay. the seventh grade level. I read all of those. Do you have a favorite uh, one? Do you remember any that you read? Oh, I, yes. I remember most all the people that, I mean, everybody from, uh, of course, Washington and sure. Jefferson and the ones you would expect. Uh, Marquis de Lafayette, Amelia Earhart, learned all about the pioneer aviatrics, you know, and the mystery of what happened to her, mm -hmm. which is still a mystery. Mm. And uh, it was just fascinating. Yeah. And so that led, that was your formal study in, in history, was reading the books, seeing the places. What um, got you into teaching history? Well, what got me into teaching, uh, actually, I had not planned to be a teacher. I uh, did not go to college to study to be a teacher. I wanted to be a journalist. Oh. But um, when I got out of school, uh, we had to look at what these jobs paid. And believe it or not, my first teaching contract was for $9,000. But working for our local paper here, the Courier-Journal, would have paid me $7,000 for a whole year's work <laughs> where teaching was going to pay me 9000 for just nine months' work. So you're a good mercenary. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to eat to live. Yeah. So went into teaching really as a stopgap measure. Oh, wow. I have to be honest. It was a stopgap measure. But I liked it. I loved it. Something something pulled you in. I love to see students become enthusiastic. Yeah. When you presented whatever. Now, when I started teaching, of course, I taught every subject in a self-contained classroom. But uh, it was the feeling that you could make a difference yeah. in somebody's life. Yeah. And so you transitioned from teaching every subject to specifically teaching history. When did that happen? Uh, when they... Uh, started opening middle schools. Okay. Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Then you were departmentalized. Mm. So they uh, asked us what particular subject we would like to teach. I was always reading history. Yeah. That was a hobby. Okay. You see. Every summer for the longest time, I would pick out uh, a particular person and spend that summer reading as much on them as I could. I remember mm. I did uh, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. Mm. I did John Quincy Adams. Yeah. Uh, I would pick out people that I wanted to know more about. Yeah. You still do that today? To an extent. as much. Now, I, in recent years, have gotten into film and theater history. Oh, okay. And so I... Uh, I write about that for a magazine oh. and also uh, talk to groups that are interested in uh, history of the theater and film, as yeah. well as uh, American history and modern European history, which is what I taught here sure. for 13 years and still come back and talk to them about it. Right. So when you came to Highlands Land School, you were coming out of the lo local Louisville Public School? At that time, I had retired from the Jefferson County Public Schools, had my 28 years in, 
And then I had gone to the Louisville Catholic schools okay. and had spent about six years there. And I was going to church, the same church, with the Lowe family, mm -hmm. who, of course, started the Latin school, the Highlands Latin school, Mrs. Lowe. And they knew I was getting ready to uh, leave the Catholic schools. And they said, why don't you come over and teach history for us? I was uh, doing religious ed at the church. Sure. And um, I said, well, that might be good. At that time, the school had 150 students. Now, well over 700, I guess. I said, I'll give you three years. <laughs> and that would have taken me to age 60. And I said, then I can sit back and take it easy. Well, 13 years later, I was still, and, and ever 16 years later, I'm still yeah, here. Yeah, you're still here. Still here doing something. <laughs> yeah, so tell me about getting to know Mrs. Lowe. I assume you knew her a little bit before. but Yes, knew her from church and Mr. Wheatley also. At that time, they went to that church. So I knew them all from church. And you see, my last 20 years in the public schools, I was in an optional program, hmm. which was called the traditional program. Uh, when they started it, it was uh, supposed to be an innovative program. It was innovative at the time. Hmm. You had a dress code, a discipline code, homework, innovative. <laughs> and... Uh, so Mrs. Lowe uh, acquainted me with what her vision was of a school, and it was exactly the same as mine. Wow. And so articulate that vision. I mean, what did you think school should be at that point? You'd been teaching for all these years in the innovative traditional program. Yes. Well, before you can teach anyone anything, you have to be able to discipline them. Sure. You can't have chaos and learning hmm. in the same room. Yeah. So I knew she had told me, you know, that the, that the desks were in straight rows. Right. There was no sitting on the floor. You know, nothing like this. Uh, there was a discipline code, and uh, students were screened. And parents were interviewed, as well as the students. And so everyone there had the same vision. Administration, faculty, parents, and students. Or they had that vision, or they were, you know, it wasn't a good fit, and right. changes would be made. But, uh, oh, I could count easily on the fingers of one hand. Uh, over the 13 years I was a regular teacher here, uh, how, how many did not find it a good fit? Very few once they were interviewed yeah. and tested and everything. So, no, it, it, was, it, it was learning, and it was not just learning the facts, the dates, when the battles were. It was learning about the people, mm. what kind of people these were, how were they virtuous? What made them great? Does great mean perfect? No. These are men. They have flaws. These are women. They have flaws. But they did great things. Mm -hmm. Flaws and all.
So who are some of the people you enjoyed teaching about the most? Well, in American history, this is not an answer that most people expect. But the period uh, beginning about 1825, when John Quincy Adams became the president, the revolutionary period is done so thoroughly. So much time is spent on the revolutionary period. So here we are moving along now, up to 1825. Mm -hmm. And so starting with John Quincy Adams, who I mentioned earlier, I had done an extensive study on, who was followed by Andrew Jackson, who's a subject uh, all by himself, who could do a whole program on him. Um, up until the start of the Civil War, what precipitated the Civil War? How was it postponed for as long as it was? Thanks to other interesting characters like Henry Clay, mm -hmm. Daniel Webster, and the redoubtable John C. Calhoun, who was another real character. I mean, I was interested in the people of that time. This was a period of time when uh, you didn't have many strong presidents. Mm -hmm. You had very strong legislative branch. And so that's a period that's always, always interested me. As I say, apart from Andrew Jackson and probably James K. Polk, some would think, uh, there weren't very many. They, they were about the only ones that you would consider strong mm -hmm. because you had such a powerful Congress. You had such, such interesting people, capable people. So you, were, you were talking to me a few minutes ago about the importance of persuading your students about the, the interesting n nature of the subject. What was your strategy in the classroom to kind of invite students to get to know these characters and it, with as much joy as you obviously took in them? Well, in the word history is the word story. It's contained within the word history. So what you're telling is a story. And I looked at it as, as telling a story about these men and women who were fascinating. Most, most people are when you really know the stories of their lives. And to be a good teacher, I don't care what you're teaching. Having the knowledge is not enough to be a teacher. You have to know how to put the subject over. And you have to believe in the importance of what you're trying to teach. And uh, I thought history was very important for reasons we can go into later. But in a sense, you're in sales. You are, you are there trying to sell what you believe is good. Yeah. It takes a certain personality to be really an effective teacher. Mm -hmm. You have to have some level of uh, enthusiasm yourself and some animation and uh, so you're really putting the material over. My way of putting the material over is to make, try to make the students feel that um, the people that we're learning about were real people. <laughs> they had seen plenty of pictures of George Washington and Lincoln and statues of them, and they, they, you know, they hardly seem real. 
But when you know the whole story, you know, these were real people with their flaws. Mm -hmm. This is a real person, not a marble statue, not an oil portrait. They had feelings. They had, they were bad tempered some, sometimes. They did things they shouldn't have done in their private lives, maybe. Uh, when you tell these stories, of course, you're looking for age appropriate. You know, <laughs> you can't tell the whole story on some of them, but uh, tell, tell what you can. And they love this. Mm -hmm. uh, very few classes that I've ever had that did not respond to the, it, it, it's a story. And of course, uh, you know, well, I think that probably answers your question. You're really in sales. When you're a teacher, you're in sales. You've <laughs> got to put over what you think is important and what, what you want them to buy from you. Yeah, I, I love how you've kind of filled in the salesman emeritus position at Highlands Latin, convincing yeah. all the students as they come up how to, that they ought to love history. And coming back and just giving a lecture uh, three or four times a year to a class, uh, you can pick... Uh, the very best material to share with sure. uh, the most interesting, sometimes the most bizarre, <laughs> but uh, they seem to like that better. But anyway, it's part of the story. I mean, I've heard that you've had some uh, interesting experiences with some of these stories. Do you, you, I've heard that maybe one of your students passed out or maybe. Ah, well, yes. Um, this uh, comes into play when you're talking about how Indians actually scalp people. No, very, very few people know the actual procedure in uh, scalping a person. Same with amputations. Now, George Rogers Clark had to have his leg amputated late in life, and they have no idea. But, you know, it's like, well, you take a bone saw and you just begin to saw. Well, mm. no, there's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, some students, uh, maybe you would say they were more of a ghoulish nature, uh, uh, just, just love that, you know. And sometimes I ask for uh, somebody to volunteer to be George Rogers Clark <laughs> or a Civil War soldier who needs to have his arm amputated um, to please come up. But I do now, I have learned to say, if there's anyone who does not deal well with the talk of blood and the cutting of flesh and the sawing of bones, you need to leave now. <laughs> and we will call you back when this part of the lecture is over. And I've had uh, two or three leave. Uh, once, I guess this was maybe a sophomore class when I was teaching here full time. And uh, we were talking about uh, amputations. And all of a sudden, I heard a, a, a thud in the back of the room, and one of the girls was lying on the floor. Uh, she had not, this is before I knew to give a warning, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I, I knew, I mean, she was pale as a ghost, and I suppose, you know, this has gotten to her. And I never will forget. Uh, one of the boys in that class who he was so cooperative. I mean, he, he just followed directions to a T. And I said, now, Jacob, I want you 
to walk, don't run, down the hall into Mr. Wheatley's office and excuse yourself but say Mr. Dennis needs to see you in his room now. So off the boy goes. I went back there, and of course the kids are all excited. I said, oh, help the girl up, you know, helped her sit up. And, uh, and then in a minute or two, Mr. Wheatley came in, and we got her up, and she said what I had suspected, that when it comes to talking about even uh, hypodermic needles, uh, well, let's put it this way, she did not plan to be a doctor. So she sat out in the hall until she got her color back. Uh, and by the way, I asked Mr. Wheatley, I said, what did Jacob do? Well, he said he walked in very calmly and said, excuse me, Mr. Dennis would like to see you in his room now. And I'd been here quite a few years by that time, and I'd never sent for him. So he said he knew he had to go now to see what was going on. <laughs> But uh, now I say, uh, I give a warning about That's what good. is Occupational what is hazards. coming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a few minutes ago that part of what you're doing is telling them these stories because you believe that history is important. Yes, it needs to be real. Hmm. Because, well, as we act today, this is real. This will be history. Hmm. People say, I have so many adults tell me, history to me was boring. History to me was boring. I said, well, that was your teacher's fault. That was your teacher's fault. It was probably boring to them. Hmm. But it's important. I don't know of a subject that is more important because, you see, history really encompasses everything. Mathematics, theology, science, all of those have their histories. And understanding the histories, how do they, how do they help us to go deeper into those, those disciplines? Uh, I think it, 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 it piques your curiosity. Mm -hmm. It's the effect that it had on me. Uh, the more you know, the more you want to know frequently, and that's what I always wanted the effect of my teaching to have. If you want to know more about whatever the subject is, the Nazi Reich, the Third, Third Reich, read Albert Spears, you know, in, inside the Third, hmm. Third Reich, and you'll learn even more. Or if you want to know more about and Andrew Jackson, uh, read, uh, Robert Remini's biography of Andrew Jackson. Good definitive biographies of all these people. And of course, in a classroom where you're covering so much material, you could only go to a certain depth. So I tell them, if you're interested in this movement, that movement, this person, that person, I can tell you some books that you can go to. Sure. But, you know, if we don't know history, and I'm afraid that recent generations uh, have not been taught history very well. The philosopher and writer George Santayana 
said those who refuse to study history are doomed to relive the past. But better to learn from other people's mistakes than make them over on your own and learn the hard, hard way. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know history, you don't know where you've been. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you don't know how far you've come. So much with what I hear today, uh, people don't know they're standing on the shoulders of giants and they think they're flying. Mm -hmm. They're not. Yeah. They're standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before. Mm -hmm. So coming back all the way around and in the last few minutes, maybe you can explore this. You talked about your love of learning where we've come from so that we can see where we go forward. It seems like you spend a lot of time talking about the history of Louisville, Kentucky. Why would you encourage people to look at the history of their place and where they lived? I think it's very important to have in your life a sense of place. Mm -hmm. Now, we live in a very, of course, mobile society now. Yeah. But I, at some point in time, asks my students, you know, are you natives of this area or do you come from another state? Well, the majority of them here at the Latin School uh, are from the Louisville area. But Louis, Louisvillians, I think, like all people now, don't know enough of the history of their place. Place gives you, uh, the, knowing about the place gives you a chance to sink roots in. Mm. Stability. Yeah. People have been here long before I was here. What did they do? How did they live? And we have done not a very good job, and I mean this, I have taught in public schools, I have taught in parochial schools, I have taught in private schools, very short shrift is given to Kentucky history, for one thing, yeah. and for your local town history, practically nothing at all. Mm. For a lot of summers, uh, both here and in my other places where I taught, I offered a summer history class uh, the history of Louisville. It lasted two, two weeks, two hours a day for two weeks. Five of those days would be in-classroom instruction, and five of those days would be field trips out to see one thing, Springfield, Zachary Taylor's home, Locust Grove, but to Cave Hill, the cemetery, mm -hmm. where so many prominent Louisvillians are buried. Um, of course, go see the sites of the early pioneer stations, which are along different places of the Beargrass Creek here. Mm -hmm. uh, they call them stations. They were forts, actually. Um, some of the spring houses of those uh, station forts are still standing. There are cemeteries hidden away that uh, people drive within... Uh, 25 yards of them every day and never know they're there. Well, These are the founders of the city. Hmm. Um, 
And, you know, almost every year after I've taught this class with the students, I have parents come to me and say, oh, we wish you'd teach this for adults. And I said, well, you know, that's something I have thought a lot about. Um, we have to do it during the daytime. So the only adults that could come are those that didn't have jobs. Uh, but that's, that's something that is, would be doable. Oh, they, they say this, because when we went on field trips, you see, I'd have to enlist parents to drive. Sure. So they were learning too, the ones right. that went on the field trips. And, uh, but you need to have a sense of play. It gives you security, stability. Um, very important, I think, and, and, and lost, lost. Well, Mr. Dennis, I've enjoyed sitting down with you. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I hope we can do this again. Well, I, I hope so, Shane. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Memoria Press podcast. If you like what you heard and you would like to hear more, please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel, Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. My name is Shane Saxon, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.